Today on Focal Point with Pastor Mike Fabares. You and I, like David, and he did it marvelously in this passage, in contrast to many other kings of the Old Testament. He remembered that God was the beneficiary. Do you see how critical that is? That God is the one I am doing this for. And his way of showing that was to give it all to God. And I think that's a marvelous way for us to show it too. Most of us, life is busy, and sometimes the activities keep piling up until you can't remember why you're doing them anymore. Today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares is continuing our study through 2 Samuel and reminding us that while there's nothing wrong with being busy, it's important to keep our motivation in mind. We're learning to be like David and do all things for God's glory. We're continuing our study through 2 Samuel with a message titled, Becoming All You Were Intended to Be. It can never be someone who hits the bullseye in your life with your intended purpose unless you're busy. Lazy people never cut it. Idle people won't get it. You have got to be busy. Oh, but it's so hard. It is. But you know, it's not for long. God just wants to use us and expend our effort and our time. And like Paul said, and I love it, 1 Corinthians 15, 58, what do he say? Always abounding in the work of the Lord. And that was not a message delivered at a pastor's conference. This was given to people like you and me, warming pews at the Church of Corinth. And he said, always, that tells me how often, abounding, that tells me how hard, in the work of the Lord that gives me the target. And it's not just for missionaries and pastors. It's for people who are in service positions, who are soldiers, who are lawyers, who are doctors, who are architects, who are are builders of homes. All of that existed in the pews in Corinth. And he says, always abounding in the work of the Lord. That means that you and I can't be idle. We can't protect our, our little uh, TV time every night and think, well, that's part, of the, that's part of life. That's God's plan for me. No. Get busy. You can't hit the bullseye being idle. Get busy doing what? Living the Bible. Business card in one hand, open Bible in the next. What have you called me to do? And every one of us can expend, I think, more energy trying to accomplish the goal and expand the borders. Get busy living the Bible. Okay, terrible, terrible bloodshed all going on. That's a lot to just sum up those first six verses. But let's move quickly through the rest of this passage, if you would. Look at verse 7. You get busy about doing your work, and I'm glad I'm not called to be a commander of an army having to kill a lot of people, but David was, and it wasn't good work, wasn't, wasn't, wasn't fun work, but he did it. And when he did it, and he was successful because Yahweh was with him wherever he went, what happens? He starts collecting a lot of stuff, a lot of money. Verse 7, he gets gold shields that belong to the officers of Hadadezer, and he brought them to Jerusalem. Then two of the towns that belonged to Hadadezer, he collected from them, bottom of verse 8, a, a great quantity of bronze. Then two, king of Hamath, heard that David had defeated the entire army of Hadadezer, who was his enemy, and he sent his son Joram to King David to greet him and congratulate him on his victory in battle over Hadadezer, who'd been at war with two. Joram brought with him articles of silver and gold and bronze. He makes a lot of friends. He gets a lot of plunder. And he has a lot of money. He's been successful. When you hit the bullseye in your life, a lot of times that happens. And God brings in a blessing into your life. A lot of stuff you start to collect. You get a bigger paycheck because you're doing it well. You're getting busy doing the work of God, upholding justice in your area, doing equitable things, serving your customers and clients like they were Christ. And you see 
good things happen. And David ends up seeing a lot of stuff come his way. Now, here's the, here's the, the earth-shaking, radical, countercultural thing that happens in verse 11. King David opened some new savings accounts, got a new car, new camel, new house, jewelry, boat, cabin, jet ski, big screen TV. You see all that there in verse 11? No. What happens? David dedicates these articles to the Lord, as he had done with the silver and gold from all the other nations he had subdued, like Edom and Moab and the Ammonites and the Philistines and Amalek. He also dedicated the plunder taken from Hadadezer, son of Rehob, the king of Zobah. He is giving this to God. Now, that's an interesting thing that he does. But what I'm most interested in is what it reveals about him. It reveals about him that he understands who he's doing this for. You see, he's interested, unlike a lot of other Old Testament kings, in building God's kingdom, not his own. He is interested in doing it for the good of God and making sure that God gets the benefit and not necessarily himself. It's much like me getting a phone call from my wife at about 5.30, just before I step out of the office, and she says, Honey, can you uh, pick up a half gallon of milk? We're almost out. Sure, honey, no problem. So I hang up the phone, collect my things, got to get home, tired, long day, go across to the supermarket, and I look in my wallet, I got no cash, I stand in line for the ATM, I get my cash, I go back and find some milk, it's not, you know, expired, I walk up to the front, I get in a long line, the lady in front of me has a million coupons, you know, three is a crowd, is a myth, there's, you know, everything is packed up, it's, it's just chaos at Ralph's at a quarter till six, right? You've been there. It's a lot of hassle, it's a lot of work. I finally get through the line. I don't have my, my little Ralph's gold card or whatever that thing is about. Prelude to the, to the tribulation, I guess. But whatever. Here I, here I am. I'm sorry. I'm standing in line. I get through the line and all the hassles is that I walk out to the car. I get in the car, lean back in my chair, try and work my way through the baskets and the people in the parking lot. And I think, man, this was a lot of work. And I'm thirsty. And that milk looks pretty good. Dead bag off that milk. Let's look at that milk. I roll my window down. It's hot. It's a long day. I stick my arm out that window. I open up that carton. I'm driving home. And I start drinking it. And I say, hmm, that's good milk. And I keep drinking. And I take the long way home. And there's a lot of traffic and a lot of time. And I... I drink it all. (laughs) And I crumble up the carton and I say, man, that was good milk. And I throw it on the floorboard of the car and I pull into the garage and I walk inside, say, hi, honey, I'm home. She says, great. Did you get the milk? I say, sure. I got the milk. She says, "Uh, well, where is it? I say, it's right here. it was good. I enjoyed it. You can imagine what my wife's response might be. But perhaps she might put it this way. She might say, I thought you were getting it for me. Oh, yeah. For you. I guess that would make a difference, wouldn't it? Now, 
the problem is that when we do for God and we get something out of it, and David says by his actions, God, here, this is yours. I guess one thing I shouldn't fear is that God, like Carlin, is not going to share it with me. You know what I'm saying? I don't have to fear that. I don't have to, to drag this milk home and give it to Carlin and say, bummer, I wanted some. She'll be glad to share it with me. Pull up a glass, sit down, I'll give you some of that good milk. And you know, you don't have to be afraid of that. God doesn't starve his servants either. But you know what he does expect from you? And he might expect it through disciplines like this in your life. He might expect you, through the clarity of what you do with what you get, to dedicate it all first to him and then let him share it with you. And that will, I think, in your life, really clarify who the beneficiary of your action, your life, your career, and your relationships are. I put it this way, number two, if you're taking notes. You and I, like David, and he did it marvelously in this passage, in contrast to many other kings of the Old Testament. He remembered that God was the beneficiary. Do you see how critical that is? That God is the one I am doing this for. And his way of showing that was to give it all to God. And I think that's a marvelous way for us to show it too. Because the way we often approach giving, when the bag gets passed, this weird thing that happens in church every Sunday, and we always say, oh, don't get freaked out about this if you're visiting. And as you know, we're not bending people's arms or throwing on the guilt because we're living in this terrible culture where people and shysters have, have abused this and obviously done this to make a buck. So we've got to try and distinguish ourselves from them. But you understand, don't you, that it is all wrong if what you do is say, well, you know, God, I, I got this paycheck this week and, and uh, 90% is mine and, and 10% is yours or whatever your percentage is. You understand that's not quite right. I mean, if you think that one through, it's ridiculous, right? 90% is mine, like that's fair. Can you imagine doing that with your brother when you were a kid? I mean, it's not even fair, especially if we understand that God is the one giving and providing and got you the job. It's just not fair. 90% mine, 10% yours. Who are you? You get 90%, God gets 10%. What does that show about your value? That's not the point. The point is that when I get the paycheck, I've already said to God as I get it, God, here, it, this is yours. And then when I come to church, I give a percentage or a portion of that, and I say, hey, God, here, this is the token representative first fruits of my paycheck to show you that I understand that everything that I do that happens to be successful in my work that they continue to pay me for is all for you. You are the beneficiary of my life. Do you think that's foundational to the Christian life? The discipline's helpful, but the concept is foundational. If you're taking notes, these are some great passages in, in Corinthians to jot down. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. It's put so well. It said, He died for all so that all might live no longer for themselves, but for Him who died for them and rose again. Did you catch that? I don't care how checkered your background is or how pristine your resume. That is a radical 180 turnaround in anyone's life. Because we're all born serving ourselves. We're all born sinful and selfish. You don't believe it? Babysit my kids, right? They come out that way. They're self-absorbed and self-centered. And the Bible says at some point when the grace of God grips their life and they repent of their sins and put their trust in God, their orientation changes from me being the beneficiary to God being the beneficiary. And then we're called to do everything to the glory of God. And that means that he becomes the beneficiary of everything I do. And giving is a great way to exemplify that and to symbolize that reality in our lives. 
Here's another good one. It's wonderful. It kind of explains some of the rationale for it. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, where it says, Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which you have from God? And I love this phrase. Bottom of verse 19, it says, And you are not, you know it, your own. Big bummer. Because if I'm my own, it changes everything. If someone else holds the title and pink slip to my life, then it, it kind of changes who I'm supposed to be living for. And then I love the next phrase in the beginning of verse 20 because it proves to us and shows us God didn't steal us or rip us off, but it says, you have been bought with a price. A very high price we've been bought with. Therefore, end of verse 20, glorify God with your body. So the Bible is saying to me that I am not my own. God owns me. That means everything I do, parenting, working, serving, ministering to others, anything that comes from that. In David's life, it was gold, silver, and bronze. But whatever comes from that, I say, God, this is for you. And there ought to be things in place in my life, spiritual disciplines like giving, that should remind me and symbolize and memorialize the reality that I live for him, not for myself. Do you think we get that out of whack in our minds? Easily. That's how the Christian life starts, right? Luke 14, 33. We can't even be his disciple unless we realize we're giving everything to him. But the problem is keeping that in focus when I start seeing success in my life. You cannot hit the bullseye with your life until you recognize God is the beneficiary of everything you do. Busy living the Bible. That's what we need to do with or without a Davidic covenant. With or without a dramatic Macedonian call to what we're doing. Secondarily, I've got to keep God in clear focus that he is the beneficiary, and David did that marvelously in this passage. Well, you know what else happens when you become a successful military campaign leader? When you start winning a lots of battles, you not only get rich, you get what? Verse 13. Famous. David became famous after return from striking down 18,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt. I guess so. He put garrisons throughout Edom and all the Edomites became subject to David. And Yahweh, as though we forgot, gave David victory wherever he went. What's God doing? Finally, the guy who's actively involved in trying to do what I called Israel to do from the beginning. That's why he's a man after God's own heart. And God says, I'll help you. I'll do it. I'll accomplish it through you. He gets rich and now he gets famous. And he reigns over Israel, verse 15, doing what was just and right for all his people. Now, here's a interesting thing that happens in verses 16, 17, and 18. After saying that now he's famous from starting to really accomplish and be all that God intended him to be, now I got a laundry list of other people. Now, isn't this chapter about David? Yeah, it is. Isn't it about him hitting the bullseye with his life and being all that God intended him to be? Sure it is. But now all of a sudden, with all this fame, we start having people attached to David's name. Joab, commander of the army. Jehoshaphat, middle of verse 16, he's the recorder. Zadok, Ahimelech, they're both priests giving spiritual oversight to the kingdom. He's got a secretary, bottom of verse 17. Verse 18, Benanah apparently was in charge of some groups, the Carathites and the Pelethites. I don't know what they were all about. Apparently they, they assume they're just groups within Israel that needed uh, oversight, so that he was there helping out. And you even have David's sons, and the Hebrew here is a little confusing, but it seems to be they were royal advisors helping David make decisions. So Joab, Jehoshaphat, Zadok, Ahimelech, you got the secretary, Benanah, and David's sons. They're all there at the tail end of this chapter. Does that seem weird? Well, it's not weird because if we're honest with ourselves, that's kind of the reality in our lives. Is that if ever we hit the bullseye and really do what we're intended to do, we really have to stop and look around and see there's lots of people we're leaning on. Lots of people that are a part of it. I put it this way, number three. 
don't think you can do this alone. Don't think you can really get to the end of your life and say, God, I've done everything you wanted me to do and think that there won't be a long list of names next to yours that helped you accomplish it. Because you can't do it by yourself and I can't do it by myself. I need you and you need me. And we need specific people in our lives that are going to help us. Everyone needs a good Bible teacher. Everyone needs a, a good mentor. Everyone needs a good friend. Everyone needs a disciple. Everyone needs a disciple. Everyone needs a confidant. Everyone needs an accountability partner. Everyone needs these elements in their lives. And in David's victories and in his accomplishments and all that he did, he could say, yeah, Ahimelech, Joab, Jehoshaphat, Zadok, they were the ones that helped me do this. Oh, God, it's all about God. I recognize that. Yahweh was the one who did this through us. But if you're going to look humanly, I've got to give credit to these people. And I love that. He, number one, recognizes his need, and he leans on them. And that's one thing we could preach hours on in our culture, our individualistic culture, where we don't quite understand God calls us to corporate identity, not individualism. That's why 29 times, by the way, in the New Testament, God gives us commands as it relates to one another. Did you know that? Love one another, honor one another, bear with one another, submit to one another, bear one another's burdens, be kind to one another. It goes on and on and on because it's about corporate identity. It's about teamwork. I will never be what God intended me to be unless I'm a part of a team. That's why you can't check out on the church. That's why you can't check out of small groups. That's why you can't check out on people that are going to come alongside of you and help you be what God wants you to be. You need people and so do I. You can't do it alone. And David here gives them credit and that would be something I think worth us thinking about. I know it's all about God, but when it comes to the human relationships that help me get to the end of my life and say, God, you know what? I I accomplished what you wanted me to be. There ought to be some people that I've given credit to. And David does here. Isn't that why their names are in the Bible? It just doesn't end with, yeah, and there are a lot of other guys too that kind of helped out. Their names are there, forever inscribed and recorded in Scripture. And here we are reading them today. Because David said it wasn't just about me. There are a lot of other people involved. And I think we need to thank God for them too, don't we? Just think more often the people that help us become what God wants us to be. We need to say, God, thank you and bless those people. Do you think these people are important? You bet. And I think also, if we want to, we can go on all day on application points here. But do you think that the choosing of these people was critical? Do you think David had to choose carefully who he would have be the commander of the army or the secretary or the recorder or the advisors? You bet. And you do too. Companion of fools suffers harm. First part of that proverb is, he who walks with wise men will be wise. We need to carefully choose those people in our life. Carefully choose a church. Carefully choose the pastor. Carefully choose the mentor. Carefully choose the companion, the confidant, the accountability partner. Those people need to be carefully chosen. But when they are, then we need to say, you know what, if I ever hit the bullseye with my life, I'm going to say all these people were a part of it. And I'm going to say they deserve credit in this. Humanly speaking, they deserve some credit that they were there to help me become what God intended me to be. And you know what? God thanks for them. Their names are worthy of being put down next to mine as at least someone who helped me accomplish what God, through His grace, has accomplished through me. You put those three together, if you say, I want to actively be involved, busily doing what the Bible calls me to do in whatever role God has planted me, wherever I've been planted, and God, I'm always going to reflect the glory to you and to your son, Jesus Christ. I want them to see that, that you are the beneficiary. And God, I never want to be a lone ranger, a maverick who tries to do this on my own. I want to be humble enough to get other people involved in my life and lean on them. You put those together and perhaps all of us, if we were serious about those three points, could get to the end of our life. Like the prayer Jesus prayed the night before he was murdered. He said, he said Lord, God, Father, I have brought glory to you. 
by accomplishing what you have called me to do. That's so critical. I've accomplished what you've called me to do. Paul said the same thing. End of his life. He said what? I, I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. He didn't say I almost finished. I got close. But I finished the race. I kept the faith. I'm going to do that by keeping our focus on Christ. Making sure all the elements of my life focus on him. Busily involved. 1495, Leonardo da Vinci uh, was commissioned to paint his greatest and most famous work, The Last Supper. All of you, I'm sure, have seen this. And all these figures, life-size, pointing to Christ as he sat there at this table, actually standing up over the table in Leonardo's representation of this scene of The Last Supper. It took him three years to finish that, and da Vinci was a, was a genius and way ahead of his time, and an incredible artist as well, giving so much meticulous attention to every part of the paintings that he painted. And as he spent three years on this, of course, he tried the hardest to get Christ's image just right on this canvas. If you know the painting, he's got Christ there with both his arms out. One, he's got his hand open, and in the original painting, he had painted a chalice, a cup, in Christ's other hand. And of course, there in his hand, he had given so much attention to the detail of this, and the realism of it was remarkable, apparently. And after three years, he called in one of his good friends, a confidant, and he said, I want you to be a critic, and I want you to to take a look at this. And you can see him in his smock covered with paint and and a wet brush still in his hand as his friend comes in and is just overtaken, breathless at this painting, just, wow, it's amazing. And he said, no, give me some feedback. What do you think? He said, it's wonderful. He said, for instance, the realism of that that cup in in Christ's hand. He said, it's so real, I I couldn't take my eyes off of it. And apparently, da Vinci stepped forward with a wet brush in his hand, and he quickly and with anger in his clenched jaw, he swashed his brush against that chalice, and he marred it. He stood back with disappointment in his voice, and staring at the painting, he said to his friend, He said, nothing is to detract from the figure of Christ. You're listening to Focal Point and a message from Pastor Mike Fabares called Becoming All You Were Intended to Be. You know, a great way to deepen your understanding of Scripture is by joining us on this program every day as we study God's Word. If you ever miss a broadcast, you can download the free Focal Point mobile app to listen anytime, anywhere. You can also listen on demand when you visit the archives on our website, focalpointradio.org. There are plenty of teachers in our world who are more than happy to water down God's message, saying what people want to hear. But we need the unaltered, unadulterated Word of God to transform our hearts, lives, and culture. And that's why Bible teaching ministries like Focal Point are so important. So will you help us expand our reach so we can get this message out to even more people? Your support helps us reach a wider audience with biblical teaching that doesn't pull any punches or shy away from difficult truths. Thank you. And when you give today, we'll express our gratitude with a practical book titled All of Grace by Charles Spurgeon. Romans 3 verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Pastor Spurgeon helps us understand why relying on our own good works is futile and shows us a better path to follow instead. Request this practical guide to understanding God's grace when you give by calling 888 320 That's 888-320-5885. 
or go to focalpointradio.org. If you prefer sending your donation by mail, write to Focal Point, Post Office Box 2850, Laguna Hills, California, 92654. And remember to request the book, All of Grace, when you contact us. It's an ideal resource for anyone who has doubts about God or is wrestling with their faith. We look forward to connecting with you by email, by phone, and through social media. You can find our Facebook page by going to facebook.com slash Focal Point Ministries. Well, I'm Dave Drewey, inviting you to join us again on Thursday as we hear a message called The Unique Love of People Who Know God's Grace, right here on Focal Point. Pastor Mike here. You know, it's an honor to be with you every day, helping you explore the depths of Scripture. But I want to be clear, no amount of Bible knowledge is ever going to save you. Be sure where you stand with God. Get in touch with us. We'd love to pray with you and for you. Visit us today at focalpointradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.